0: Series we were in Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks, and then we got into this uh, this sermon series called Life Inside Out, and we were looking at Matthew chapter eight through ten. And so, um, last week you guys heard about Jesus sending out the twelve disciples to the house of Israel, and they were supposed to go to the house of Israel first before they went on to the Gentiles. Now, how many of you guys? I know this is always, especially holiday season. When you guys get the holiday time, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, you guys go into like a coma. I know what happens. And so you're not typically going. How many of you guys went to the main service last Sunday? Anybody? Oh, like a little smattering right over here. Like eight of you, maybe eight of you. So the really funny thing is I got assigned the, the, the topic of peace, and then I realized that a lot of what I'm saying up there last Sunday, I'm not doing the same sermon by any means, but um, a lot of the, the concepts tie into this sermon here Um, today. So this really could be part two of that sermon up there, but it's not the same one for sure. So this is a, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10. Look at Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at just a few key verses in Matthew 10, starting in verse 16. And this is a huge section. So we're going to touch on like three or four verses in the whole section. And the first one we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Is my clicker working? I don't think it's working back there. Maybe you disabled it. It is on. There we go. See? It was not my fault, guys. it was someone else's. It was technology's fault. Uh, so here's the passage, Matthew 10:16. Jesus says, "Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves." So this is the thing that Jesus says to his disciples. As he's trying to exhort them and encourage them as he sends them out into the world to um, evangelize and spread the gospel. So, I'm trying to contrast that, how Jesus does this versus how I send my kids off to school for their first day of school. So, when I think about my kids, like every year they get a little bit nervous before they go off the first, no matter what it is, they're, they're nervous on the first day of school, like, like many of you are. And they're talking about, like, what they're nervous about, what they're fearful of. And usually I say encouraging things to them. I'll say, it's going to be okay. Whatever their fear is, I'm like, no, that's, that's probably not going to happen. I mean, it might, but probably not. And I try to encourage them and exhort them and, and inspire them to want to go to their first day of school. But then you contrast that with how Jesus what he says to his disciples as he's sending them off to do ministry. He says, I am sending you out as, a sh- as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then he says, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So it's not the most, it doesn't sound the most encouraging thing, right, to say, yep, yeah, I'm going to send you off like sheep in the midst of wolves for your, for your first introduction into evangelism. And then he mixes in these metaphors of, okay, there's, there's sheep, there's wolves, there's serpents, and then there's doves. And you can hear the disciples thinking, okay, that's just too many animal references. So we're like sheep being sent off to the wolves. Thanks for that. But we're supposed to be like snakes and doves. All right, got it. Right? And so it sounds confusing what he's, what he's saying here. So this is a common picture this idea of us being like sheep and Jesus being like a shepherd is, is kind of a common metaphor, right, throughout Scripture. And it leads to incredible artwork in the Christian community, right? You see incredible pictures like this, right, in the Christian world. And if, if you're like me, do these images, do they, do they kind of creep you out a little bit when you see those images of Jesus? Does, is it just me that feels that way? Do you guys feel that way a little bit, just a little bit? I've always found it a little bit creepy, because I just can't really picture Jesus walking around, like, petting a baby lamb, asking people to follow him. That just seems creepy to me, right? And so we have these sort of Christian artwork images that depict Jesus being this shepherd, and he's always carrying around a little sheep. I'm like, I'm not sure Jesus ever really even touched sheep. Like, he was a rabbi. I'm not sure he ever got into that business. That was more of a different business. And yet, um, that's how we, we picture him. So, but we rarely see pictures like this, right? You can't really, it's kind of washed out, but those are wolves over there. And, and you don't really see artwork of Jesus, like, sending a little baby sheep or lamb, like, out into the wolves. Like, that wouldn't really sell that well in the Christian artwork world, would it? Like, Jesus, like, here, little lamb, time for you to meet your death. Like, that's not the image that we like to think about. But we got to think about some questions. So who are the wolves that Jesus is talking about when he gives this analogy? Well, they're the religious leaders of Israel. And he says, he goes on to say in the passage, he says, these religious leaders of Israel, they're like the wolves. They're going to hand you guys over to the authorities, and you're going to be beaten. And you're going to go before governors and kings. And then he says, if they, if they referred to me as Satan, if, if, if these same people referred to me as Satan, Jesus, then of course they're going to hate you. And so he's letting them know what's going to happen before they he even sends them out. And so there's one really simple concept we can understand from this passage, and it's that following Jesus will lead to persecution. There's no question about that. But here's the problem where you and I live, is that we don't expect that where you and I live. We're, we're comfortable where we live today. And we think, you know, this, that's not going to happen in, in my country where I live, where I live here, even in the state of Texas. And if we experience any kind of persecution on a government level, have you noticed what Christians do in our country whenever we experience any kind of governmental institutional persecution, what do we do? We throw a Christian temper tantrum, don't we? And, and we... We sort of bow up because this is supposed to be the place where there's liberty and freedom of religion. And listen, I am all for that. I'm in favor of that. But what I will tell you is I think what happens with a lot of Christians today is that we begin to focus so much on the wrong done of the institutional persecution that we forget about the gospel opportunity in the midst of that persecution. So We have the attitude of, you know, how dare you, and focus so much on the injustice of that, and we focus less on the gospel opportunity before us. So the Bible tells us to expect this kind of thing, that you're going to expect it. It's going to happen to you. And I know that um, at your age, you're not thinking so much about the institutional stuff. You're thinking about, your parents think about the institutional persecution, but you might think more about the relational persecution. So what kind of relational persecution might you experience because of your faith? Well, you might have close friends. You might have family. You might have people at school, um, people on your sports team that are poking fun or making fun of the fact that you say you're a believer or how you live your life. And so you might experience some relational persecution. And instead of I I want to challenge us to think differently, though. Instead of us throwing the Christian temper tantrum, I want you to think about what Jesus says to his disciples as they're about to experience persecution for their faith. He says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And that clears it up for you, right? Like, you know what that means, right? What's he saying when he says that? What does that mean? You see, in some cultures, snakes are symbols of wisdom. Not so much the case, I think, here, but other parts of the world, snakes are considered a symbol of wisdom. So what do snakes do most of the time? They usually hide, right? They just kind of stay, like you don't really see snakes a whole lot. They're not really out and about, um, usually seeking out conflict. Um, I've never seen a, a snake, like, down my street, like, looking for conflict. They, they tend to hide in places where you can't find them. Um, so that's how snakes tend to be. A few years ago, many years ago now, um, I've told you before, my wife, like, she loves animals, right? And we had this, this rat problem under one of our decks, and so we began to set rat traps. So Courtney is in favor of rat death, all right? But not so much other animals getting killed. So, so she wanted me to put some traps out in the backyard, and I was putting them along in the back of the house by the air conditioning unit, like spots where rats might be, and uh, trying to catch some rats. And then one night, it's dark outside, and she says, hey, did you put, because she loves to feed the squirrels, so she's like, did you put the rat traps where the squirrels aren't going to get in them? And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, do you want to check and see? And so we go outside together, and I got a flashlight, and I'm walking out behind, like where my AC unit's located outside behind the house, and I'm showing her where the rat trap's located, and I'm shining the light down, and I'm not kidding, I step like this, and the light hits the ground, and I realize... I'm one foot away from a coiled up snake. And like, I'm not telling you what I said. I'm not telling you what I did, but I think I jumped like higher than I've ever jumped in my life. And I think she was behind me. And I think I may have either clotheslined her or backhanded her or something like that. I don't know what I did, but I went, Whoa, you know, like jumped way back. And, uh, And then let's just say that that snake, you know, met his demise after that, okay? Because I was a little freaked out. I was like, look, you're not just going to lay here and and just get away with it. Like, I'm going to have to kill you now. So I took care of business. But here's the thing, though. Was that snake looking for conflict? No. Like, he's just chilling out. He's just chilling by the AC unit. And I came across him, and I had to put an end to him. But... Snakes don't typically look out for conflict. They tend to hide and want to avoid conflict. So he's saying, he's saying, okay, like a snake usually kind of stays below the radar, that Christians need to avoid unnecessary attacks. We don't go seeking out conflict unnecessarily, right? But he also says, be like a dove. Now, what does that mean? I can't think of two conflicting animals that are more conflicting than a snake and a dove. They seem to have nothing in common. What is he saying when he says this? So what does it mean to be like a dove at the same time? Well, if you guys, um, it's really funny that, that Matt and his wife are here because um, his wife, Veronica, actually lived some time in the little small town I've told you guys about that I grew up in. And I didn't know. I just met her just today. But she lived in that, t- that same little town. And it's, like, in the sticks, middle of nowhere. And... um. If you guys saw where I grew up, you'd be like, Dave, how are you not like a, like a redneck? Like, how are you not like, that? if you saw where I live, that's what you would ask, you'd ask that question. And, and so my dad liked to go, my, my dad liked to go hunting a lot, and so I'd go hunting sometimes with him, all right? And I don't know if you guys, are there any hunters in the room here, anybody? A few of you? All two of you, all right, welcome. Welcome. Um, but it's not a whole lot of people in here, I think, that hunt. And I don't hunt today, but I would go with my dad when I was a kid. Well, the thing that I hated as a kid, I hated deer hunting. Why is that? Because you almost never see anything. And where I grew up, it was always cold at that time of the year. So you freeze, you're bored, and you don't ever see anything. Hardly ever. But I loved, like, you want me to go squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, dove hunting? I'll go with you because you, you come back with, like, pockets full of stuff, you know, and so my dad would go deer hunting. He'd go out to this big field where the corn had been already chopped down, this big open field, and he would just, like, walk around with a shotgun and be like, boom, 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 and, like, come back with, like, 20 doves, right? That's how you dove hunt. It's, like, it's pretty simple. You're, gonna get, you're always going to get something. And the reason why that is is because doves aren't that paranoid. Doves are easy to kill because they just fly around and it's like there's a guy just blowing them doves away and the next one just comes along like they don't even notice they're just like they get killed too so they're not paranoid animals they don't like they're not like other animals that like to hide they're kind of out in the open and so he's saying here he's like be like a dove like not suspicious not paranoid not thinking that everyone's out to get you and so recognize the little balance here of like, it sounds really crazy to think of how do I balance between a snake and a dove? But be like a snake in that you're not looking for unnecessary conflict, but be like a dove and don't be overly paranoid and fearful, right? And so this is the balance that Jesus is saying walk this balance as you go on and carry the gospel and this message. So we forget that every time we're persecuted, there is a gospel opportunity. And we see that in Matthew chapter 10 verse 18. Where Jesus says, "And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles." So did you catch that? He says you'll be dragged before governors and kings so you can bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Jesus is saying you're going to be persecuted so that you can be a witness. Do we see persecution like that? If not, then we need to. And when you see persecution in that light, here's what it's going to lead to. Matthew 10, 26. Skip down to that verse, verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So he is saying, even if we're persecuted, God knows about it. Nothing happens in secret. So for the Christian who just throws the Christian temper tantrum because they're persecuted, he's saying, no, God, God sees it. God knows about it. Nothing is hidden from him. You can say it this way. Trusting God means we have no fear of man. Trusting God means we, we have no fear of man. I think most of us fear man more than we trust God and the main reason we don't share our faith is that we're scared of the of the backlash of what's going to happen this picture is uh, Brandon Brewer on the left he's our new global outreach pastor here at the church and then his friend Amr who's over in the, the UAE and I met Amr when I was over there visiting Brandon last year around this time of the year and Brandon sort of began just a friendship with Amr, and he comes from a Muslim background. Amr does. And he's, he's from, I think it's from Pakistan, and he moved to the UAE several years ago for work. And so um, Brandon had a friendship with him and just began sharing the gospel. And in the UAE, it's illegal. If you're a Muslim, it's illegal to convert to Christianity. You can get in big trouble for that. You're allowed to, so Brandon's allowed to be there, allowed to be a Christian in the country. But if they find out he's witnessing, Brandon's in trouble. If they find out Amr is interested or becoming a Christian, Amr could get in huge trouble. Not just from the government, but like from peers and job. Like you would lose your job if they find that out about, find that out about you. So Amr is, is a single man trying to make his way in this, in this new country of his. And Brandon's reaching out to him. And I met him a couple of times when I was there. And when Brandon moved back to the States to take this job here at TBC, he stayed in contact with Amr. And the news is, is that Amr has recently become a Christian. It's amazing to hear that from someone in that country. But do you know what would happen? Like whenever we were, st- we were sitting out this night in front of this little strip of shops, getting some tea and, uh, and, and just hanging out with some other people. And the moment that Brandon and I began talking a little bit about the gospel and Christianity with Amr, Amr gets real quiet. And he he wants to talk, but he has to speak in hushed tones. Like he's that scared of someone overhearing what we're talking about and him getting in trouble for it. And he would if they knew about it. And so this is a whole different world that someone lives in versus the world that you and I live in. It's a whole different ball game for someone like him versus someone like us here in the US to become a Christian. Now listen, we talk about Jesus coming to earth this time of year. We say that Jesus brings peace on earth this time of year at Christmas time. Then we read verses like Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 where it says, "Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword." Now listen, I know you read that and you think, you're instant, you instantly think, okay, we don't need to talk about religious religion and violence in the same <laughs> verse, right? But he's not talking about a literal sword. This is a metaphor. The sword signifies conflict and divisiveness. It does not mean he's saying, take up a sword and go kill somebody. He's talking about what happens when it comes to earth is that Jesus, he's saying, look, when I come and I, and I bring my message the gospel, it's going to cause conflict among people. There's going to be conflict because of the message that I bring. So listen, persecution comes in all kinds of, in all shapes and sizes. And at times it's government. At times it's the school. At times it's the, it's friendships. But maybe sometimes it's even family. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that if you come to Christ and start following Christ, it's going to affect families. It's going to cause conflict among families. And that was a really big deal back then and would have been a bigger deal then than it, even it is now today. So he's not saying division is his primary purpose. He is saying that repentance is going to lead to rejection and that surrendering to Christ is going to lead to such a change, such a values change in people's lives that their values, your values will clash with their values. And the problem here is that many believers, many so-called believers, don't let God change their lives to the point where that clash occurs. So I want to ask one question of you, Then I want to close out with a video here in a second. Has your life changed enough where a values clash may occur? Has your life changed enough because of the gospel and it has sent ripple effects out into your life, and your life has changed to the point that a values clash is going to at some point occur with the people, whether it's family, friends, the culture around you, the school that you're a part of. And listen, we don't go looking for conflict unnecessarily, but we're also not paranoid and, and, and freaking out about possible persecution. We live our life right down that middle and walk that fine line. Open to share the gospel and letting God do his work in powerful ways. And listen, it's going to cause some conflict. But I want you to hear a story of someone with a powerful testament. Let's go ahead and watch this video.
1: My name is Afshin Ziafat. I was born here in Houston, Texas. When I was two years old, my family moved back to Iran, where my parents are from. In the late 70s, an Islamic revolution hit that country, and we moved back to Houston when I was in the middle of first grade. I didn't speak English, I spoke Farsi, the language of Iran. And God, in His incredible plan, provided for me a Christian lady, a tutor, who would teach me the English language every day after school by reading me books. In the second grade, she came up to me and said, Afshin, I've been reading you all these books, but now I'm going to hand you the most important book you'll ever read in your life. And she handed me a small New Testament Bible. She gave me that Bible during the Iran hostage crisis when many people turned against my family because we were from Iran. But I'm so thankful that this one lady decided to look beyond the divisions of race and culture and class and pour herself into my life. I grew up in a Muslim family being taught the five pillars of faith of Islam and that Jesus Christ is just a prophet. My senior year in high school I became curious with the person of Christ and I found that Bible sitting at the bottom of my closet waiting for me after ten years. I began reading that Bible and came face to face with the love of Christ and eventually I would give my life to following Him. Unfortunately I did not understand the cost of following Christ. You see my father is a very prominent Muslim and has always been the most important person in my life. And because of that I hid my faith from him for about a year and a half until he finally found out, sat me down, and made me choose between him and Christ. Everything in me wanted to choose Islam and choose my father. My flesh wanted to choose my father and not lose my dad. But God gave me the strength to look at my dad and say, Dad, if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly Father. I choose Jesus. And so my father disowned me. It was that night in my room when I opened up the Bible. My my father had told me to, to get out of his face, and I opened up the Bible and read in Matthew, where Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him. Where Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and that's when I first understood what it means to be a Christ follower through the years I've regained my relationship with my dad and then only to see it go bad again when I decided to follow God into full-time ministry but my God has been faithful every step of the way My story is not about a testimony about a man's faithfulness to God, but rather God's faithfulness to a man. Today, my relationship with my father is restored, but even greater than that, now God has given me a nationwide and even a worldwide speaking ministry where I travel around, share the gospel, share my story, and see even Muslims give their faith to Christ through my story, through my message. And the only reason that is possible is because God had a plan for my life. Remember, he says, if you want to hold your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, we'll find it. And I challenge you to lose your life. Lay your life down. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I found that when I've lost my life, that the life that Jesus has given me today, I would not trade for anything that I could have had following the path that my Father had for me. I pray that you would follow Christ and count the cost.
0: And I want to have you guys move into your discussion time. We need to spend about probably 10 minutes or so. We've got to finish this part at about 12 o'clock. So go ahead and do your discussion here to close out.